Hi, this is Mark Brady. I'm the pastor at Anchor Faith Church in Valdosta, Georgia. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today. We believe it will bless you and minister to you. I get ready to receive a word from God. All right, I am so privileged to, to, to be here in this uh, capacity. I think I pretty much know everybody, but if not, I'm Chase Ellenberg. Um, and I get to come and, and, and share with you I don't know, a couple of times a year. Uh, pastor brings me out of the basement to, uh, <laughs> to share some stuff with you, shares what, what God has been, uh, been laying on my heart. If you'll turn with me to Numbers chapter 15. Numbers chapter 15 is where we're going we're gonna to camp tonight for a little while at least. Um, the book of Numbers comes up a lot, it seems, in, in pastor's messages and, and in this church for a good reason. There's a lot of uh, amazing examples that come out of this book. Tonight, we're going to talk about memory. We're going to talk about remembering and forgetting because memory is one of those things that there are some things that happen in our life that no I'm still here there are some things that happen in our life that we can never forget there 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 are some days that that just stick out to us that even though they could have happened decades ago we just remember them like we could relate them we could relate them at step by step as if it was just happening so I think of like uh, the birth of a child. So I remember when our first child was born. I remember that because it was the first one. We had a unexpected C-section. I mean, it was, it, was a, it was one of those days that it didn't go the way we were anticipating, but it went the way God anticipated it. I remember when our second one um, was born. That was March 2020. It was the very day that the schools shut down and never opened back up. And so... <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it was, I had a great paternity leave. I, I mean, it was, it was, a lot, a lot of people talk about March 2020 being bad, but we, 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 it was pretty blessed for us. So you remember the, the, the birth of children, wedding days. Um, I, I remember the day that the Falcons uh, lost the Super Bowl, the, the largest Super Bowl lead in the history of Super Bowls. Those are things you don't forget, that they stick with you. But at the same time, there are things that you don't remember. There are things that you naturally, it seems like you forget, things that you even shouldn't. Just a couple of days ago, I was filling out some paperwork for Bailey, my, my second, and uh, it needed her middle name. And I didn't forget her middle name, but her middle name is Ann. And I had to stop for a second. I was like, okay, does it have an E on the end or does it not? <laughs> These are just things that you, you just might, might slip your mind every now and then. It's that whole phenomenon that you've gone to the store for milk or something, and you come back with everything but milk, right? I was reading something the other day talking about um, the doorway phenomenon. You guys heard about this? this is, it's where apparently our, our brains, if we walk through a doorway, there's something that clicks in our brain that shifts to another neuron. I, I don't know. I'm not a science person. It shifts to something. And, and, and so that's why when you walk through a doorway, sometimes you'll look around and you'll say, why did I come in here, <laughs> right? <laughs> That's the doorway effect, the doorway phenomenon. And the, the weird thing is, is the article I was reading said that even if you like imagine going through a doorway, that same thing happens. You might forget something. So I don't know. But there, there are things that we remember and things that we forget. And memory itself is also a concept that shows up in the Bible. So the Bible is clear that God remembers things, right? So um, all, throughout the, all throughout the Bible, God remembers, the, the word says that God remembered Noah. 
that Noah was in the boat, he was in the ark, and God remembered him, that God remembered Abraham. After 25 years, Abraham was waiting for that promised child. God remembered him. God remembered Rachel and her barren womb. He remembered um, Hannah and her barren womb. God remembers things. Um, the, the, the Holy Spirit also plays a part in memory. The word's very clear that the Holy Spirit will remind us. This is what Jesus told us, that the Holy Spirit will come to remind us of things. And then the whole aspect of Jesus, the word, the, the phrase remember or don't forget shows up so many times in the Bible. I think it's around 170 times just in the Old Testament alone. The word remember or the phrase don't forget. So we're going to be banking on memory tonight. Numbers chapter 15, I'm at verse 37. 37, Numbers chapter 15. And a little bit of context, a little bit of background is what we have here is this is after the 12 spies were sent into the promised land. So we've got the kingdom, the the children of Israel. You know, they were living for 400 years in Egypt. They were enslaved. God sent Moses and got them out of Egypt. They crossed the Red Sea. They wandered, and they, they eventually ended up on the edge of the promised land. This was where God was sending them, his promised land of Canaan, right? And they sent the 12 spies in, and 10 of them come back with a bad report. 10 of them come back and say, yeah, the land is nice, but the the people there are too big. There's giants, and we can't take them. And the people believed the 10 as opposed to the two, Joshua and Caleb, who said, let's go. Well, God, in response, said, fine. If you don't want to go into the land I have prepared for you, turn around and walk into the wilderness, and you'll continue walking for 40 days until every one of you are dead. And then your children can go into and take the promised land. What we see here in Numbers chapter 15, starting in verse, I think I said 37, I meant, um, yes, 37, that's right, 37, is the very first command that God gives them as they head into the wilderness. Now, he gives them a command at the beginning of chapter 15, but if you look over there, what he says is, Then the Lord told Moses, give the following instructions to the people of Israel when you finally settle in the land. So that's a forward command, okay? This in verse 37 is the very first thing he tells them as they are heading into the wilderness, okay? One day, I'm sorry, then, verse 37, then the Lord said to Moses, give the following instructions to the people of Israel. Throughout the generations, everyone say generations. Throughout the generations to come, you must make tassels for the hems of your clothing and attach them with a blue cord. When you see the tassels, you will remember, please say remember, and obey all the commands of the Lord instead of following your own desires and defiling yourselves as you are prone to do. The tassels will help you remember, please say remember that you must obey all my commands and be holy to your God. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, that I might be your God. I am the Lord your God. So what we have here in this very first command is it might seem a little strange, but God's sending them into the wilderness, and he's saying, before you go, I want you to make some tassels for yourself. You know, we think of the word tassel, we think of like graduation. So they want to make tassels, 
or God wants them to make tassels and put it on their, their clothes. But it's not for the wearers of the tassels. Rather, he wants them to wear it for the generation to come. The tassels are an external sign of an internal memory. Because what God wants is the tassel wearers to be walking along and the children to say, hey, mom and dad, why are you wearing the strange tassel? Okay, And then the mom and dad can say, well, let me tell you about the Lord. Let me tell you about Egypt. Let me tell you about us getting to the very edge of the promised land. Let me tell you what we did. And let me tell you what you're going to have to do. So the tassels are connected to Israel's memory, and they're an outward sign of that remembrance. Keep this in mind. They were not for the wearers, but they were for the next generation. Let's keep on going. Chapter 16. So they have walked into the wilderness. They've got tassels hanging along on their the hems of their clothes. Chapter 16 of Numbers, starting in verse 1. <clears throat> One day, Korah, son of Isar, a descendant of Kohath, son of Levi, conspired with Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, and On, son of Peleth, from the tribe of Reuben. So we've got a group of guys conspiring. They incited a rebellion against Moses, along with 250 other leaders of the community, all prominent members of the assembly. They united against Moses and Aaron and said, you have gone too far. The whole community of Israel has been set apart by the Lord, and he is with all of us. What right do you have to act as though you are greater than the rest of the Lord's people? So what we have here is a a mutiny. We have a rebellion. That Korah has risen up, gotten some, some people together. Notice that they are leaders, 250 leaders, and he is challenging Moses's authority because they have witnessed the journey from Egypt to the land of to the edge of Canaan and then the turning around back into the wilderness and Korah is inciting this rebellion he's not happy about it at all verse 4 when Moses heard what they were saying he fell face down to the ground then he said to Korah and his followers tomorrow morning the Lord will show us who belongs to him and who is holy The Lord will only allow those whom he selects to enter his own presence. Korah, you and all your followers must prepare your incense burners. Light fires in them tomorrow and burn incense before the Lord. Then we will see whom the Lord chooses as his holy one. You Levites are the ones who have gone too far. Then Moses spoke again to Korah. Now listen, you Levites. Does it seem insignificant to you that that the God of Israel has chosen you from among all the community of Israel? to be near him so you can serve in the Lord's tabernacle and stand before the people to minister them? Korah, he has already given this special ministry to you and your fellow Levites. Are you now demanding the priesthood as well? The Lord is the one who you and your followers are really revolting against. For who is Aaron that you are complaining about him? Moses makes an important distinction here because he starts starts talking about Korah's lineage, Korah's past. Remember, we're talking about memory. So he points out, Korah, you obviously want to be leader. You obviously want to be in a position of authority, but don't you know that you already are? I mean, doesn't that seem to kind of echo things that pastor has said? 
for example, of the Garden of Eden and Satan tempting Eve with something she already has to be made like God? Same thing that's going on here. Korah is a Levite. This means he is from the tribe of Levi. This means that he is from a priestly line. It means he's important. He's not just a nobody rising up. And actually, Korah has special significance because the word tells us he's from the, the, the clan of Kohath. He's a descendant of Kohath. Well, if you look back at Numbers chapter 4, we see that the tribe of Levi, this Levitical line, this priestly line of people, is separated into three different clans. And the three different clans have special responsibilities in the community of Israel. Well, the clan of Kohath, where Korah comes from, they are tasked with what the word says, handling of the most sacred objects of God. They're responsible when Israel packs up and moves the tabernacle, they're responsible for the most holy of holies. They're responsible for the Ark of the Covenant. They're responsible for the most sacred things in the entire community. So not only is Korah a Levite, but he's a very special Levite of this tribe of Kohath. And it's easily forgotten that Moses himself is also a Levite. Moses comes from the tribe of Levi. And if you look back at their, their family line, Moses and Korah are cousins. They're first, first cousins, actually. So they're very closely related. So Korah already has a special place in the community. But as Moses points out, he wants something he already has. He wants that position of leadership. Okay? I want us to take a quick detour. Stay with me. Look over to Exodus. So keep a pause. We're going to be right back to that story of Korah in in number 16. But I want to go back to Exodus chapter 9. What we're going to see here is now we've gone back in time to when Israel was in Egypt. And Moses was there. And Korah was there, and Aaron Aaron was there. And this is where Moses has risen up as God's deliverer, and the plagues are coming. Moses is coming before Pharaoh and saying, let my people go. And Pharaoh, with his hard heart, is refusing. And the plagues are coming about. Exodus chapter 9, I want to highlight just a few of these plagues. And then we'll return to Korah. Exodus 9, verse 6. Exodus 9, verse 6 says, And the Lord did just as he had said. The next morning, all the livestock of the Egyptians died. But the Israelites didn't lose a single animal. Stay in chapter 9 and look ahead to verse 23. So Moses lifted his staff toward the sky, and the Lord sent thunder and hail, and lightning flashed toward the earth. The Lord sent a tremendous hailstorm against all the land of Egypt. Never in all of the history of Egypt had there been a storm like that, with such devastating hail and continuous lightning. Look at verse 25. It left all of Egypt in ruins. The hail struck down everything in the open field, people, animals, and plants alike. Even the trees were destroyed. So here in chapter 9, we see two plagues. The first one is all the livestock die. The plague of the livestock. Every domesticated animal, cows, pigs, goats, dead in the land of Egypt. 
What we just read is now the plague of hail. There's a great storm that comes about that's never been before in Egypt, and that destroys all of the wild animals, so all the animals that are just out in the field, plus it destroys all of the trees, and it destroys all of the plants. Okay? Look ahead if that wasn't enough. 31 through 32, same chapter. All the flax and barley were ruined by the hail because the barley had formed heads and the flax was budding. But the wheat and the emmer wheat were spared because they had not yet sprouted from the ground. Okay, so maybe we do have something that's going to make it in Egypt. Every animal domesticated and wild is dead. All the flax, all the barley, all the trees are gone. But there might be some some wheat. (laughs) Not quite. Look over chapter 10. 10, 13 through 15 is when the locusts come. Chapter 10, verse 13. So Moses raised his staff over Egypt, and the Lord caused an east wind to blow over the land all that day and through the night. When morning arrived, the east wind had brought the locusts. And the locusts swarmed over the whole land of Egypt, settling in dense swarms from one end of the country to the other. It was the worst locust plague in Egyptian history, and there has never been another one like it. For the locusts covered the whole country and darkened the land. They devoured every plant in the field and all the fruit on the trees that had survived the hailstorm. Not a single leaf was left on the trees and plants throughout the land of Egypt. So if the livestock didn't cover it, the hail didn't cover it, the locusts got it. Key thing there is that everything in Egypt is in ruins. No animals, no trees, not even a little tiny leaf on a tree. It's all gone. And then the children of Israel packed up and left Egypt. So they're leaving Egypt, and it's in ruins. It is a desolate, ruined place. Let's go back to Korah. Numbers chapter 16. Continuing Korah's story in verse 12. Remember, Korah is inciting this rebellion against Moses. Moses is saying, you're already important. You're already a Levite of the tribe of Kohath, the clan of Kohath. Look at the response of these guys. Verse 12, number 16. Then Moses summoned Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, but they they replied, these are Korah's minions, his cronies, We refuse to come before you. Isn't it enough that you brought us out of Egypt, a land flowing with milk and honey? They obviously didn't have Exodus chapter 9 and 10. Isn't it enough that you brought us out of Egypt, a land flowing with milk and honey, to kill us here in this wilderness? And that you now treat us like your subjects? Verse 20, verse 14. What's more, you haven't brought us into another land flowing with milk and honey. You haven't given us a new homeland with fields and vineyards. Are you trying to fool these men? We will not come. Guys, this is baffling to me. That we just read the land of Egypt... If there's a dictionary definition of a land flowing with milk and honey, it ain't that, right? (laughs) 
you can't have milk if you don't have animals. I mean, this is just basic logic, right? <laughs> you can't have honey if you don't have trees. Egypt is not a land flowing with milk and honey. No, they are stealing God's promise and God's words for Canaan, and they're applying it to a past, twisted, and distorted memory. They are showcasing the difference between remembrance and revision. They have revised their very own past in their mind. Because actually, they're using God's words. The phrase flowing with milk and honey first appears in Exodus chapter 3 at the burning bush. When God tells Moses, take off your shoes because you're on holy ground, I'm going to raise you up and take you to a land flowing with milk and honey. Those are God's words. Those aren't Korah's words. But he's misusing them and misdirecting them towards Egypt, the very place they were supposed to get as far away from as possible. So they are revising their past. The point is, is I, lo- I love the phrase, I love the phrase that we say here at this church, that God's word in your mouth is just as powerful as it is in God's word in his mouth. Uh, amen to that. Amen. That's why Christ died. That's why Christ sacrificed, is to bring us back into a position of authority, that we can speak the word of God and things can happen. However, God's word in our mouth in the wrong context is nothing because we can easily misuse God's word. Satan can. Satan does. Think about Jesus in the wilderness. He's spouting scriptures to no effect. So as we're using God's word, let's be careful, church, that we're using it in the right context in the right way. Let's be careful how we are remembering things. You know, the funny thing is, is Korah was so dead set on this, on, on you're, you haven't taken us to a land flowing with milk and honey. You haven't gotten us to the promised land. You know, if you look back at Numbers chapter 13, where the 12 spies go in, the tribe of Levi didn't go in. They didn't have a representative because a lot of times this happened that Levi, because they were special, did not participate in some of the, the group gatherings. They were doing their priestly duties. So what would happen is the tribe of Joseph would be split into two, Manasseh and Ephraim. So Korah's talking about something he's not even been a part of. The tribe of Levi didn't go. But you know, the even funnier part of this that we can make is that shows Korah's faith. Korah had faith. Because what is faith? Believing in things you've not seen. He hasn't seen the land of Canaan. But he is saying that that land, the land of Canaan, is not a land flowing with milk and honey because the spies said so. Korah has incredible faith. This is the wrong thing. Just like he's saying God's word in the wrong way. Let's be careful. I think Korah is, is a perfect Old Testament example of a New Testament Pharisee. He's got all of the knowledge. He's got all the faith. He's doing the right things. I mean, he's a Levite. He's, he's not some scoundrel off the street. <laughs> he's in charge of the Ark of the Covenant. But he's misremembering his past. He's revising his past. 
his memories are clouding his mandate, his future. But, but, there's hope. Let's keep on going. There's hope. This is a story that seems like there wouldn't be, especially if we read Numbers 16, 22 through 23. (laughs) 22 through 23. But Moses and Aaron fell face down on the ground. Oh God, they pleaded. You are the God who gives breath to all creatures. Must you be angry with all the people when only one man sins? Korah. And the Lord said to Moses, then tell all the people to get away from the tents of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. So Moses and Aaron are interceding on on the people's behalf. He's saying, don't get rid of all of us just because of Korah. So God says, okay, get away from their tents. So Moses got up and rushed over to the tents of Dathan and Abiram, followed by the elders of Israel. Quick, he told the people, get away from the tents of these wicked men and don't touch anything that belongs to them. If you do, you will be destroyed for their sins. So all the people stood back from the tents of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. Then Dathan and Abiram came out and stood at the entrances of their tents, together with their wives and children and little ones. Look down to verse 31. He had hardly finished speaking the words when the ground suddenly split open beneath them. The earth opened its mouth and swallowed the men along with their households and all their followers who were standing with them and everything they owned. So they went down alive into the grave along with all their belongings. The earth closed over them and they all vanished from among the people of Israel. So what happens is God swallows them up into the earth, Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. And it says that their their relatives, their family members are standing there with them. Their followers are there with them. Now, hang on. I thought you said there was hope. There is. There is. Check this out. This this will give you chills right here. Numbers, look ahead to chapter 26. Numbers chapter 26, the 40 years have passed. Israel is getting ready to go back to that edge of the Canaan. They're at the Jordan River. And now the new generation is seeing if if they can go in, if they're going to go in finally. All right? So what they do is a second registration. My, My Bible has this headed, the second registration of Israel's troops. The first one they failed. Now they're registering everybody. Again, to get ready to go in. Look at Numbers 26, 8 through 11. They start naming some people. Palu was the ancestor of Eliab, and Eliab was the father of Namuel, Dathan, and Abiram. Remember those guys, okay? This Dathan and Abiram are the same community leaders who conspired with Korah against Moses and Aaron, rebelling against the Lord. But the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them with Korah, and fire devoured 250 of their followers. This served as a warning of the entire nation of Israel. That's what we just read. That's a summary of what we just read. But read verse 11. However, the sons of Korah did not die that day. So everyone died except the sons of Korah. 
Take your Bible, flip to Psalm 42, please. You know when you read the Psalms, there's headings for many of them where it tells you who wrote it. Not all of them, but a lot of them will say, a Psalm of David when he was in the pasture, or a Psalm of Asaph. Psalm 42, for the choir director. A psalm of the descendants of Korah. Psalm 44, for the choir director. A psalm of the descendants of Korah. Psalm 45, for the choir director. A love song to be sung to the tune Lilies. A psalm of the descendants of Korah. I could keep going. Psalm 46, Psalm 47, Psalm 48, Psalm 49, Psalm 84, Psalm 85 are all written by the descendants of Korah. I said there was hope because these descendants of Korah, they didn't forget where they come from. He's mentioned. I mean, if, I'll be honest with you. If it was me, I wouldn't want to be called a descendant of Korah. I'd rather be called a descendant of Fred or Bob or somebody, okay? <laughs> I changed my family's name, okay? But they didn't change. And they still labeled a song of the descendants of Korah. But it's not that they misremembered. We're going to read Psalm 42 together. They remembered Korah, but they didn't twist it. They didn't change it. They kept their tassels to remember where they've come from and where they're going. By the way, a side note, uh, the, the great prophet Samuel would also be a descendant of Korah. He would come from that same line. Psalm 42 we can read as a psalm of remembrance, not revision. Psalm 42, for the choir director, a psalm of the descendants of Korah. Verse 1, as the deer longs for streams of water, so I long for you, O God. I thirst for God, the living God. When can I go and stand before him? Day and night, I have only tears for food while my enemies continually taunt me, saying, where is this God of yours? My heart is breaking as I remember, please say remember, how it used to be. I walked among the crowds of worshipers, leading a great procession to the house of God, singing for joy and giving thanks amid the sound of a great celebration. Verse 5, why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? I will put my hope in God. I will praise him again, my Savior and my God. Now I am deeply discouraged, but I will remember. Please say remember. I will remember you. Even from distant Mount Hermon, the source of the Jordan, from the land of Mount Mizar, I hear the tumult of the raging seas as your waves and surging tides sweep over me. But each day the Lord pours his unfailing love upon me. And through each night, I sing his songs, praying to God who gives me life. Oh my God, my rock, I cry. Why have you 
forgotten me? Why must I wander around in grief, oppressed by my enemies? Their taunts break my bones. They scoff. Where is this God of yours? Verse 11. Why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? I will put my hope in God. I will praise him again, my Savior and my God. A psalm of remembrance, not revision. In closing, I want to give you three things that true remembrance has. True remembrance is forward, not backward. Right here in the very first first couple of verses, the, the, the descendants of Korah say, as the deer longs forward, or as the deer longs for streams of water, so I long for you. I'm old school, so I learned that as the deer panteth for the water. You remember that old song? As the deer panteth for the water, so my soul longeth after thee. Guys, that's forward thinking. So it seems ironic, but they take the memory, the past, and they don't leave it there. They don't twist it there. It's forward. It's forward. It's looking ahead. Their memories propel them forward. It reminds me of Philippians chapter 3, verse 13, when Paul says, I forget what lies behind, and I press onward to what lies ahead. Paul's not saying that he's going to forget everything that God has done for him. That's not what he's saying. But he's saying is, my past will not be a fetter for my future, but it will be a propellant. It will push me forward. My remembrance is forward. The second thing that true remembrance is, is it's faithful. True remembrance is faithful. Look at verse 6. Verse 6 tells us, I'm sorry, verse 5. Why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? I will put my hope in God. I will praise him again, my Savior and my God. Now I am deeply discouraged, but I will remember you. Even from the distant Mount Hermon, the source of the Jordan, from the land of Mount Mizar. What the the descendants of Korah are saying there is that even if it seems like we're far away, even if it seems like you're way over by Mount Mizar and I'm way over here, I will remember. I will be faithful in the night. I will be faithful in the day. True remembrance is faithful no matter what. It doesn't twist. It doesn't revise. It doesn't retell doesn't make excuses. True remembrance is faithful. The last thing that true remembrance is, is it's forward, it's faithful, and it's focused. True remembrance is focused. Verses 5 and 11 are repetitive verses. They're echoes of each other. They're the exact same thing. And they both say, why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? I will put my hope in God. I will praise him again, my Savior and my God. Our past many times can be a burden upon us. We all have regrets. 
We all have things from our, from our life that are better left there in the past. And so we all can relate to those questions that the descendants of Korah ask. But notice how they frame it. They get sad. They get downtrodden like the rest of us, like all of us. And immediately they focus it. Uh uh-uh. I'm going to trust in God. Oh, got a sad day coming. Uh uh-uh. uh. I'm going to trust in God. Unexpected tragedy. Nope. I'm going to trust in God. Because their past, their memories are focused. Because they know, as we said earlier, they know God's blessings are not accidental. They're not accidental. So I leave us guys with, remember our tassels. We should have tassels in our life that remind us to be forward, to be faithful, to be focused, all in a nutshell, to be reminded of the goodness of God. All our lives, all our lives. And and the funny part about that is, is all means all. Not just yesterday, not just today, but tomorrow. All means all. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast today. We trust you received a word from God. If you enjoyed this teaching, be sure to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes. By subscribing, you'll be sure to receive a new message every week as soon as they are made available. And if you'd like to learn more about Anchor Faith Church, you can stop by our website at anchorfaithvaldosta.com. There you'll find our locations and service times, ministries that are available for you and your family. You can even give financially in support of the ministry. Thank you again for listening, and we look forward to seeing you next time right here on the Anchor Faith Church podcast.